So uh, grab your Bibles and turn to John chapter 9. John 9. Um, and this is, as I said this morning, my favorite story in the Gospels. And I love it not only just because of the story itself. It's a great story. Its message is uh, just, just wonderful. Uh, but I love it because the main character in it, other than Jesus, of course, he is a smart aleck. He is sarcastic. And I just love that. You read it like that's... That's my boy right there. See, God is okay, and God uses sarcastic people. Um, now, that may not matter much to you for me and Mark. That is, that is, I needed to hear that this morning. Thank you. Or this evening. I don't even know what time, time it is. All right. Well, John chapter 9, so if you will stand with me, reverence of God's word, and we'll read this fantastic story about Jesus being the light of the world. Verse 1, as he passed, he, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with his saliva. They anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how are your eyes open? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud, anointed my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. I went to Siloam, or I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I don't know. I just, I love that. I'm sorry. I just have to pause there. I just, I just love that. First of all, it's, it's the, it's the uh, church folk, right? You know, the townspeople are like, is that him? No, I don't think that's him. No, I think that's him. That's got to be him. No, I don't think that's him. This is their Sunday school class, by the way. Um, verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put... On my eyes, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, He's a prophet. The Jews did not believe he had been blind and had received his sight. And so they called his parents, the parents of the man who had received his sight, and asked him, Is this your son whom you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son, that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you wouldn't listen. Why do you want to hear it? Why? why? Do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Three snaps of Z formation right there. Boom. And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. Nose sticking right up in the air. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Wow, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. 
We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him. It is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came to this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Go, Lord, in prayer. Our Father, ask as always you open our hearts and our minds and our eyes and our ears, our mouth, our hands, our feet. We would all go in obedience of Christ, for you are risen from the dead. Transform us, or as we should say, open our eyes. May I decrease so that you can increase. In the name of your son we pray. Amen. May you see it. As I've gotten older, I've become more and more convinced that I was a subject of, of a real conspiracy. Not one that you would find on Facebook, but a real conspiracy. In fifth grade, my class lined up one after another to take an eye exam. And at the time, I thought it was one of those random things you get in public school. You know, you just randomly on the second Monday of every month have to take mouthwash, right? You just randomly ever so often have to get lice checked. You randomly all this sort of stuff. And of all my years in public school, only one time did we do an eye check. And the older I've gotten, the more I realize this was a conspiracy of my fifth grade school teacher. Because she knew I was nearly blind. Now, before the year started, my mother has sent a letter with me saying, we realize he has bad eyesight. Just put him in the front of, of, of the class. He'll be fine. Little did mom and dad know that I could be in the front of class and I still couldn't see anything on the board. With each passing year, my eyes had gotten worse and worse. But, but from the outside, you would think I could see just fine. I played sports, including baseball, you know, with the the, the, the heavy object that could kill you if, if, if it misses and, and flying at you as fast as the machine can throw or your peers can throw at you. I played fine in baseball, did a lot of bunts and running, but I did fine in baseball. My, my, my grades in school were fine. I was an A-B student, um, and, and they were fine. Now, some of that required some real strategy. I couldn't read the board, so I had to write down everything the teacher said. Now, I didn't literally write down notes. What I did was, if the teacher was doing math, and, they, and she had five formulas she wanted to put up there, um, as she would write them down, she would say them out loud as a matter of habit. As she said them out loud, be in the front, I had two good ears then, I would write them down, and that's how I got through class. If for some reason I, I didn't get everything and I couldn't see what was up there, I would drop my pencil off the side and then I would get up to pick my pencil up, walk right in front of the board, read everything, memorize it all, come back and immediately write it all down. It's amazing what you can do if, if you have to do it. But I functioned fine. There's nothing wrong with my grades. But I think my teacher did get tired of me squinting and everything else to see the board. And so at random, there was an eye exam at school, and I did what any self-respecting young man, soon-to-be pubescent man, would do. I waited until the very end, sat in the back, back of the line, because I knew I was going to fail this thing, and I failed it gloriously. In fact, whenever my parents were contacted with the results, they couldn't believe how bad my eyes were. 
I ended up getting glasses with a vision of 2200. I've told you all before, I take my eyes off or my glasses off, same difference at this point. I don't really see much. I see some of your colors and there's not enough Bengals representation here I can see. I can see best red. So for those of you wearing red, uh, I, I see it someone. I see a Stephanie. I can see the red and green, but I could. Yeah, I know usually Tommy's sitting on the inside, but this would be the one Sunday you weren't doing that. So um, uh, I can see BJ, you're wearing blue. I'll talk to you later about that, right? So, um, and I know you're bitter about the Bengals, but you know, come on, you don't have to go to the to to the dark side of the forest with the blue. But anyway, so so that's how I function, and I remember uh, the best part of having glasses wasn't that I could see the board. That was nice, right? The best part of getting glasses was it was the middle of basketball season. And now I could see. And the most points I ever scored, I was on like an uh, all-star traveling basketball team. And um, I mostly was a rebounder. I couldn't see the basket. Uh, so I, I could see the, the, the giant orange ball bouncing towards my head. So I did a lot of rebounding and stuff like that because I, I was tall too at the time. That, that didn't last very long. But on this particular game, after getting my glasses, everything was different. That basket went from being about that big to about this large. All because I could see. It's amazing what that experience is. And this man, goes he goes really from being blind, completely blind, never having seen anything in his entire life, to finally being able to see. But the point of the story isn't that we would rejoice in that Jesus is a nice guy who is a healing doctor, but rather we would see that Jesus does this, not just to those who are physically born blind, but more importantly, those who are spiritually born blind. Notice, first of all, that Jesus, as the light of the world, illuminates. The light of the world illuminates. You see in the first three verses, there's an important theological issue going on here, and that is the source of suffering. The disciples buy into the religious notion that bad things happen to bad people, good things happen to good people. You only have to be alive 10 or 15 minutes to discover that bad things happen to bad people and good people. Good things happen to good people and bad people. And of course, if you want to get really theological, the question is, who are actually good people? I've yet to find one. But nevertheless, a religious notion is that because this man is suffering, either he or his parents were subject to sin. Jesus' answer is quite instructive. The man was born blind, handicapped, and a beggar his entire life because God wanted him to be. Now, that, may, that may be something you need to crawl under your bed, sit in the fetal position, recite the Greek alphabet backwards, and contemplate that fact. The man was blind because it was the subject of God's will. If you still don't believe me, go to the, um, uh, the uh, burning bush scenario. Remember when, when Moses is having his issues about, well, I can, I'm not a very good speaker. What does God say? Who made the mute and the blind? Was it not I? Go. That is, that he is sovereign over creation. He is even sovereign over broken creation. Now, what we don't need to see here is to say that God is picking and choosing who he can torture and make their life miserable. But rather, what Jesus states here is that God in his sovereign care allowed this man to suffer in this specific way so that through him you might know definitively that Jesus is the light of the world. 
So that suffering under God's providential care has a purpose. If you take out God as part of that formula, what you're left with is suffering has no purpose whatsoever. I can't explain all of suffering for you, but I I can encourage you that, that God is sovereign over it all. After all, we've already been introduced, as we'll see, to, to this theme of Jesus as the light of the world. And this story is going to illustrate it for us. In fact, you can go down to uh, uh, ver- chapter 8, in fact. Chapter 8, verse 12, it says, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, notice there that if you are in darkness and someone is holding the flashlight... You are following the light, right? You are no longer in darkness because you know which way leads out, right? And that's all Jesus is saying there. Now, this theme of light is a major theme. It's actually one of the main things we're doing with, at the Capitol on Wednesdays and Thursdays. We're looking at a number of L's, and one of those is light. We'll look at another one more likely next week with Jesus as the resurrection life. Nevertheless, this has been a theme really from the, from the beginning. We saw this when we, when we looked at this um, Another story earlier, Uh, but this was in the prologue. It says, in him, that is Jesus, the Logos, was life. The life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Right? That's a big theme you're going to get in John's gospel. And so the reader has been prepared to look for these patterns of light and darkness. We just saw chapter 8, verse 12. We could even look forward to chapter 12, verse 46. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Notice here that Jesus understands that those apart from him are in darkness. And so what the gospel does is it illustrates this to us in a number of ways. The most prominent and best example of that is Nicodemus. We've looked at this some. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at nighttime, right? And, and you think, okay, if it's dark, how does he see Jesus? Well, I can tell you how he sees Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. So he comes to Jesus in not just physical darkness, but it's true. He comes to Jesus in spiritual darkness, Right, we're having a hard time figuring out what all these signs mean. And here Jesus says, look, look, if you can't understand this, these earthly things, aren't you a teacher of Israel? How are you going to understand heavenly things? You are in darkness, Nicodemus. Or even consider chapter 6. We looked at this last week. And we may have mentioned this, that when Jesus walks on water, it is completely dark outside. Other than the moon and stars, there is no light yet In the storm, the disciples can look over the horizon. What do they see? Light coming to them. There goes Jesus walking on water towards them. Or you can go back to John 3 when he describes salvation as new birth. The child in the womb is in darkness. And the only thing that changes is birth. They go from darkness to light. And that's just a few examples we we could look at. Here is another one of those examples. Blindness is a form of darkness, right? This is why if, 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 if you're truly blind, we wouldn't put you on the decorating committee of this church because all you see is darkness. That makes sense. Blindness equals darkness. And that means the opposite is true. Seeing is related to lights. If you're blind, you're in darkness. If you see, you've come to the lights. 
So what it is we get here is Jesus heals the man, verses 6 and 12. And immediately, this is, I think, just a humorous part of the story. Immediately, the um, um, who is this man committee starts asking what it is that, that is going on from there. And you'll notice here the entire time he's, he's described as the blind man, right? They refuse to believe he has actually been healed. And so they, they, you know, they, he walks by, right? And they're like, that guy looks familiar. That almost looks like uh, old man Smith's boy, you know, the blind one. But that can't be him because he wouldn't be walking like that. No, I don't know, Jeffrey. That sure does look like him. Now, Mildred, you know he's been blind since birth. That can't be him. Look at him. Like, have you ever seen him walk like that? Where's his walking stick? Where's, where's, where's his uh, support animal? He just, that can't, can't be him. No, I don't know. It sure does look like him. You know, and they go back and forth, and they're having this, this entire debate. So they decide to do what you're not allowed to do on social media, and that is go to the man himself, right? Are you the guy born blind? And he says, yes, that's me, right? And look, there's my yearbook picture. I can see it. That's what I look like, right? I can see. Like, well, how did that happen? Well, his answer is the man called Jesus made mud, anointed my eyes, and said, go to Siloam and wash. So I did it, and voila. Now they said, uh, verse, verse 12, where is he? He said, oh, <laughs> I just love that. By the way, this is the second time we've seen this. In chapter 5, I believe it was, Jesus heals the man at the pool. So we have two stories of two men at a pool. Um, and one is Bethesda in chapter 5. This is Siloam in, in chapter 9. The two stories are very similar in many ways. And one of those is that when the man went to the pool of Bethesda, who was handicapped, uh, Jesus snuck out before he could tell Jesus thank you. And then they had a second encounter. Here you get the same story. Jesus encounters the man, heals him, but sneaks away before uh, he can identify who it is that healed him. And this sets up an encounter with him at the end of the story. I love Spurgeon's summary of this when he says, uh, when this man was converted, instead of being a public beggar, he became a public confessor. All right, that'll preach, right? That, that's, that's good stuff there. Well, um, the blind man, again, he's never named in the narrative, doesn't know, doesn't know what Jesus looks like, doesn't know where Jesus is, and the reason is quite simple. He's never seen Jesus, right? He was, remember, blind. But what we need to see here in these opening 12 verses is how the light of the world illuminates. Everyone in this story thus far, from the blind man's friends, his neighbors, to the disciples, everyone so far are blind. Think about it. The disciples buy into the wrong theological notion that the man suffers exclusively because of sin and judgments. That's blindness. That's darkness. They, they, they don't understand that maybe God is at work in this man through his suffering. The neighbors refuse to believe that it is indeed the blind man because, because that, 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 that can't, can't be him, right? We've never seen anyone do that before. However, the blind man sees. And I think one of the reasons John never gives us his name is so that we have to keep saying the blind man sees. But for most of the story, he's the seeing man. But he forces us to call him the blind man. There's nothing else to call him. I'm not going to call him Carl, right? He's the blind man. And so throughout the narrative, he is seeing, whereas everyone else in the narrative, though seeing, they are in fact blind. Now, throughout the Bible, coming to light is an opening of the eyes. Embracing Christ is more than fire insurance. 
is a transition from one world to another, one philosophy to another, one source of hope to another, a lie to truth. It is the complete turning over of our entire being. But first, we have to realize that we are in darkness. C.S. Lewis, I think, is right in the weight of glory. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe in the sun has risen, not only because I see the sun, but by it, I see everything else. It's exactly what we need to see with the gospel. It isn't just that we're getting fire insurance. It is rather that our entire worldview, our entire being is transformed because the way has been illuminated. We see here then that Jesus' light is indeed good news. And we understand this, right? It's dark outside. If the, if the power were to go off right now, we would be in complete darkness. We would not need to form the uh, turn on the light committee to know that all of us are going to pull out our phones, turn on our flashlights, and try to figure out how to fix it to get the lights on or make our way back home through the lights. We get this. We don't want to be in the darkness. We want to be in the light. And that is really what separates the blind man from everyone else in this story. He so far is the only person who knows he is blind. The disciples have an answer for, for, for suffering, don't they? The neighbors seem to have an answer for why this man is walking without a cane. Everyone seems to have an answer. But none of their answers are right. Why? Because they think they're in the lights. When in reality, they are stuck in darkness. So the light of the world illuminates. Secondly, notice that the light of the world exposes. The man is brought before the Pharisees, and it is discovered that this miracle was performed on the Sabbath, right? We, we did that this morning, didn't we? And to quote Reagan again, there you go again, right? I mean, it's, it's just, maybe it's just me having read the Gospels my whole life. It's just... Can we pick another day to pick on, boys? Just give me one story. You know, pick on Mondays because you don't like Mondays at this point. I don't care. But Jesus performed the Sabbath. And I'm convinced Jesus does these things on the Sabbath on purpose. Now, again, as you know, we talked this morning. They have very strict rules. And Jesus violates the Sabbath oral tradition three ways. Number one, he healed the blind man. We went into detail about doing good on the Sabbath um, with the withered hand. Secondly, he made clay. Can't, can't do that. Thirdly, he anointed the man's eye on the Sabbath. So those three things, he healed, he made clay, he anointed. And so this leads to an inquisition, right? If Jesus did these things, he's a bad person. How come then, as you say, this bad person did a miraculous thing, right? Now notice their worldview matches what we were introduced in with the disciples. Bad people can't do good things. Good people can't do bad things. Otherwise, they wouldn't be good. This very black and white sort of mentality is reflective of religion. You've heard me describe it this way before. In a religious worldview, whether it's a traditional religion or it's a secular religion that dominates our culture, the other side, whoever they may be, wears black hats, right? It's people who vote for the other party. People who root for the wrong Ohio NFL team, people who, 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 you know, whatever it might be, we wear the white hats, right? We're the good guys. The, the black hats people come in the town, stir up trouble, and we got to call the white hat sheriff, right? I'll be your huckleberry, they say. 
It's, a, it's an easy way to view the world. If you think about this, you're a bad person. And we're going to find something in your tweets from 30 years ago to prove the fact, right? This is, this is how we think. We are a very religious culture. And it's a religion without forgiveness, as we said this morning. However, through the story, we discover it's more complicated than that. So the man concludes, well, I, I don't have all the answers. He must be a prophet. It's verses 15 to 17. But that's not good enough. Starting in verse 18, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind. Now, they think there's a conspiracy involved. Okay, okay, all right, all right. Let, let, let's just say you are, were blind. Okay. There's no way you've been blind from birth, right? I mean, I mean, think about it. Maybe you just had a bad seeing day, right? When I lost my hearing, I went to the doctor and, and, and said, Doctor, what are the chances if I do everything you tell me to do, I get my hearing back? He said, oh, there's a chance. Probably not going to happen. Our goal is to improve your hearing, not to restore your hearing, right? But it would be believable that you could go from a brief period of hearing loss to, to a period with, with hearing, right? It's possible to have a period of blindness to be able to, to seek it. It's reasonable to say that's possible. But if you've been born blind, then it is impossible, right? There is no medical reason for you to now see. But you'll notice they refuse to refute the evidence in front of them. They know he was blind. After all, the neighbors will testify to that. But now he sees. They are not debating that point. Reminds me of what Jesus said in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus. This is the judgment. Light has come into the world. Now, if light has come into the world, that means the world is in darkness. Men love darkness. They love it. And they love darkness more than light. Why? Their deeds are evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. There it is, right there. And that is illustrated for us right here, isn't it? Notice that, that what they do is they say, well, there's no way he's been born blind. Let's call the parents up here. The parents would tell us. And they are scared to death. They, they, they see that they, they, there's a lawsuit and they don't want to lose the house. And so... They're asked, is this your son? Was he born blind? And how is it that he now sees? Two questions. They answer the first, honestly, the second they, they pass the buck, right? First one, he was born blind. I can tell you that. I was there, right? We raised him up. We raised a blind son. He is born blind. I cannot explain anything else. And, of course, it, it, it explains to us why they passed the buck. Verse 22, his parents... Uh, said these things because they feared the Jews. The Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he or she would be put out of the synagogue. You see, what they don't want is for Jesus to be illuminated as the light because then that would expose them as evil. That's their great fear. In fact, you'll notice that they refuse to give Jesus credit. Because of their fear. Why? They too are blind. Everyone in the story is blind. And so, well, you're not going to give much from the parents. Let's, let's bring this man up again. Put him, put him in the uh, uh, chair there and uh, let's, let's interrogate him. And again, I've, I've already highlighted some of his sarcasm just is glorious. Notice verse 24. 
Second time they called a man who had been blind, notice the past tense, said to him, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. Now look at that first sentence, give glory to God, which is exactly what the man is trying to do. I was blind, now I see. And they respond with, no, 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 no. The dude must be a sinner. Now, why do they think Jesus is a sinner? He did a good thing on the Sabbath. Therefore, he can't do good things. Bad people do bad things. Good people do good things. And that bridge is never crossed. Verse 25 is the central verse of the entire story. He answered, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. He's never met Jesus with new eyes. I don't know if he's a sinner or not, but this thing I do know. I was blind. Now I see. It's beautiful, isn't it, that to bear a testimony of Jesus, you don't need a PhD in apologetics or testimony or evangelism? It's quite simple, isn't it? I was lost, but now I was found. Isn't that the story of the prodigal? I was blind, but now I see. We should write a hymn about it and call it Amazing Grace, shouldn't we? It's a beautiful image we get throughout the Bible. His testimony is quite simple. I can't explain to you how, how, how this man did it. All I know is he told me to believe, and I did. Now I can see. It's just so simple, yet so profound. So they return with another question. They keep, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? You can see their frustration here. They cannot deny that the man was blind and now that he sees. And so the man is tired of answering the same question. So the sarcasm gets the best of him. I've told you already and you wouldn't listen. Now notice what happens. They're not just blind, are they? They're deaf. They're deaf. They can't hear. He can shout as loud as he wants. He can demonstrate that he can see all that he wants. They will not deny that reality, the physical reality. They're denying the spiritual truth that comes from that reality. Why? Why do you want to hear it again? Hear it. Oh, I, maybe, just maybe, you want to be one of his disciples too. But Paul's there. Is that a good thing? Unlike the disciples, this man can see. In the narrative, the disciples are blind still. We don't want them to become like the disciples. In fact, they're acting like the disciples. So the man, his testimony is quite simple. Like, I was blind, now I see. You keep asking me questions. Are, are you asking me how, how you can be healed too? Are you want to be his disciple too? I can give you the answer. Let him open your eyes. Let him open your eyes. You know, one of the biggest frustrations of ministry is exposing people to light and their blindness to take over. In the movie, The Matrix, Neo is given the choice between a blue pill and a red pill. It's a simple choice, isn't it? You can either want this or you want that. And too often we portray redemption the very same way. However, we cannot discount, discount, discount the blindness that the world of flesh and the devil has over us. And apart from the illuminating grace of God, we will not be able to see. Which is why in evangelism, we must not pray to win an argument. We must pray that God will open the eyes of the blind, 
This is why spiritual manipulation will not open the eyes of the blind. Legalism will not open the eyes of blind. Religion doesn't open blind eyes. Condemnation without grace doesn't open blind eyes. Politics cannot open the blind eyes. A simple prayer will not open blind eyes. It must exclusively be the grace of God. Remember that redemption is creation. And what an amazing thing indeed right here in verse 28. They reviled him saying, notice the blindness, you are his disciple. We are disciples of Moses, Meh, right? The nose is in the air, right? Showing off their degrees. We know that God has spoken to Moses. As for this man, we don't even know where he comes from. That's supposed to sound really spiritually deep. But it reveals not only are they blind, not only are they deaf, they are ignorant. Now they think that where a person comes from proves just how righteous they can be. What foolishness is that? But it makes sense even in our world today. If you're from the South, you can't be very sophisticated, not with an accent like that. But if you're British, right? I can't do a British accent. I wish I, wish I could do a Scottish accent. That's neither here nor there. I would take an Irish one if I had to, but the Scottish one, that's the gym. Well, if you have a British accent, you must be really smart, right? We don't even know where this man comes from. And I just love his response. He answered, wow, what an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from. Why? You can't see him. But he opened my eyes. You guys can get distracted by all the religious gobbledygook you want. You can look at the letter of the law. You can go through all that. But this thing I know, I was blind. Now I see. Do you want me to help you find him? I can see now. I just love the sarcasm. I mean, with everything he says, it's a blink in their eyes. I just, just love that. Just love it. Well, Notice what he says going on down to verse 32. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. And that is true. There's no example of God doing that in the Old Testament. We've talked about that recently in our study of, of Matthew. Um, and of course, blindness in the Old Testament is often an act of judgments or is a prophecy of judgment. For example, Isaiah 32, the eyes of those who will see, uh, who see will not be blinded. The ears of those here will, will listen uh, Psalm 146, I think we've looked at these before. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind, raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. Uh, these are prophecies, 30, Isaiah 35. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Right? Clearly, it was an act of judgment, and there are people who are blinded in the Old Testament. Think of Sodom and Gomorrah when the angels blinded the, the men there. And then the prophecy is that the Messiah will come and open the eyes of the blind and that this would reveal the kingdom of God. And But what, what is their response? They kick him out. Why? Because the man's testimony exposes them for being in darkness. It's interesting, isn't it, that no man disproves the man's story. He has been healed by Jesus. No amount of testimony, no amount of evidence is sufficient to convince the blind that Jesus is the divine Son of God. And the reason is obvious. Although light can illuminate, and it will, it can just as easily expose so if you're in darkness and you want to be found, light is good. But if you're conspiring in the dark, 
Light must be avoided. It's why maybe your, your mother or father told you growing up that nothing good happens after midnight. You avoid alleys and everything else. Avoid dark places. When my wife was at U of L and, and I wasn't able to escort her back to her dorms after class, I would tell her, we would talk on the phone the entire time. I would say, you follow streetlights. Stay in the lights. We get this. People do not reject Jesus because of historical arguments, contradictions in the Bible, archaeology, philosophy, or any logical reason. The main reason people reject Christ is because their deeds are evil and they don't want to be exposed as such. Light, life in Christ requires death to self. And that is too much for most of us. This is why when it comes to evangelism or apologetics or witnessing, it is good to, to, to have all your answers lined up about the historicity of this and why the Bible doesn't contradict. And all those things are good, and I encourage that. But at the end of the day, there's only one question that matters. Did Jesus walk out of that grave? You can come up with all the answers of why you don't believe that the sun stood still in, in the book of Joshua. But until you deal with the Jesus walking out of the grave, you haven't dealt with the subject. You may not believe that a virgin birth is scientifically or biologically possible, but you must address the issue. Is Jesus alive? Was he crucified? Was he buried? And was he alive? No one wants to talk about that because if he did that, he is the light and I'm in darkness. My darkness is being exposed. We've we got to move quickly. I'm sorry. This has gone longer, and I thought I was going to let you all get out early. Verse 35 to 41 is the light of the world blinds. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Without reading any further, what do you think the answer will be? Because the blind man now sees, both spiritually and physically, we know that he believes in the Son of Man. To believe in Christ is to see. To reject Christ is to be blind. Now, verse 36 is interesting. Who is he, that is the Son of Man, sir, that I may believe in him? Now remember, he's never seen Jesus. But Jesus' answer is illustrative. You have seen him. No, he hasn't. Oh, he hasn't. He was blind when Jesus healed him and he snuck away. Or really, he made the man sneak away. Blind the whole way to the pool while Jesus sits back and watches. So that now that he can see, Jesus has disappeared. And then Jesus says, well, you've already seen him. He's like, no, I haven't. What I've seen is a bunch of blind people who think they can see. But Jesus' point is, the day in which you believed in me was the day you really saw that's the point. You have seen him spiritually. You now see him physically. Throughout John's gospel, the physical and the spiritual are merged. You must be born again. Drink of this water. You'll never be thirsty. Eat my body. Drink my blood and you'll have eternal life. That mixture of the physical and spiritual throughout the book. So when he says you have seen, that's the spiritual. You now see is the physical. So verse 38 is so important. Lord, I believe, and he worships. The proper response of the enlightened believer is to worship the one who opened your eyes. Worship isn't a law, it's love. How can we not worship the one who opened our eyes? Nothing else can, no one else will. When we see Christ risen from the dead, our first response is to drop to our knees. Then we get the true irony of the story, the light that illuminates 
the blind will blind those who think they're illuminated. Verse 39. For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, those who see may become blind. So the Pharisees heard these things and said, are we also blind? He said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. Now you say we see your guilt remains. Notice, they thought Jesus was the guilty one because he healed on the Sabbath. Jesus says, no, you're blind. Your blindness reveals you are in fact guilty. And the story begins with, who is guilty? This man or his parents? The answer is anyone who is outside of Christ. Anyone who claimed to see, but are truly blind. It's how people respond to Christ reveals everything. To live in sin, to reject Christ, is to embrace both darkness and blindness. But to come to him is to be exposed as a hopeless sinner, but at the same time we'll have our eyes opened and we'll see. There's a myth about a lighthouse. Whether or not it's true remains to be seen. The story goes that a captain of a ship saw a light in the distance. And immediately he, he told his signalman to send a message saying, alter your course 10 degrees south. Message came back, alter your course 10 degrees north. Captain didn't like that response at all. Alter your course 10 degrees south, I'm the captain. Response came back, alter your course 10 degrees north. I am the seaman, third-class Jones. The captain in sense responded back, alter your course 10 degrees south. I'm a battleship. By which he said, alter your course 10 degrees north. I'm a lighthouse. It's good news there's a lighthouse in the dark. If you'll follow the direction it's sent in you. Light can illuminate our way out of darkness, or it can blind us and expose us if we choose to ignore it. Jesus is the light of the world. And that's good news, isn't it? Out within a bed every morning of your life, you follow the same pattern. Maybe, as I've found as I age, especially if I drink too much water at night. I wake up in the middle of the night and I do that thing I regret it every time I do it. I go into the restroom or I go in the kitchen or I go wherever and what do you do? You turn that light on. The refrigerator light's the worst, isn't it? And you're blinded but for a minute. But I know that without the light, I'm breaking something tonight. The light at first is not good news. My pupils aren't ready for it. But before long, it's the only way I can make it back to bed. And that's the good news. No matter how dark our days may get, no matter how difficult life may become, there is a way illuminated showing us someone and something far greater. Let's pray.